Welcome to Solving for the Undefined podcast. I'm your host, Johanna, founder of Miss Kuiper's Classroom, the place that equips teachers in creating a healthy math classroom where students can thrive, no matter their academic abilities. But it's not always about the numbers, and that's why I'm here, bringing you the formulas to solve your problems, math and otherwise, plus strategies on cultivating that necessary math mindset. And that's what you can count on. Hello, hello, happy Monday. I have to tell you, last week was a doozy. Since winter break, I don't think I've been part of a lot of five-day weeks. I was out for COVID. We've had a lot of Monday holidays and some grading days. So completing a full five-day week was a lot harder than I expected. But this upcoming week is also slated to be a doozy as well. Coming off a Super Bowl Sunday, we have Valentine's Day today, and then a full moon on Wednesday. It's gonna be crazy. But here's what I found when it comes to high energy days. Sometimes you just need to embrace the chaotic energy that your students are going to throw at you and channel it. And I'm going to be doing that through games. So to help you out in case you want to do this as well, I'm going to share five games with you today that have done wonders for engagement in my classroom without compromising the learning. First, let's talk about why we should play games in our classroom. Because they're fun. Duh. Case closed. Moving on. But seriously, by making the learning environment fun, you are increasing the buy-in of your students. And when you increase their buy-in, they're more likely going to learn better and more efficiently. One thing I found about playing a game is the number of problems that a student is going to complete. I'm going to take a quick detour, but I promise this circles back around. I was listening to the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And in the book, he talks about how we can build a habit and how by just changing 1% of what we're doing can have drastic effects in the long run. But one of the questions he was answering was how many days or how long does it take to actually form that habit? And it's not necessarily about the number of days. It's about the number of repetitions. And the more repetitions you have, the more likely you are going to be able to complete that habit and keep it as a long-term thing. So I wanted to look up how many times we have to do something in order for it to stick in our brains. And it's somewhere between 18 and 254 times. That would be the world's worst worksheet. Just do 254 problems of solving for the value of x. No thank you. I don't even want to create that. So I can't obviously expect my students to want to do that. But if you make it a game, think about how many questions students are going to be working with over the course of a single game. Depending on the game, quite a lot. And it doesn't necessarily have to be different problems. But I'll explain that a little bit more when we talk about the second game. So overall, our goal as teachers is not to reduce the volume of practice our students need to do. It's about making that volume exciting, engaging, and meaningful. So why not make the process fun as well? 
So game number one I'm going to be talking to you about is grudge ball. You might have heard this recently on TikTok because that's where I got this from. Grudge ball is kind of like trash get ball, but a little bit more competitive and even a little vicious, if I do say so, based off of my own experience. And here's how you play. First, you're going to split your class into teams. I typically do between four and six. I find that to be the sweet spot, but do what works best for you. Then on your whiteboard, you are going to create a T-chart with as many columns as you have teams. And then in each of those columns, you're going to put 10 X's. Now you're going to give your class a question. Now, I like to have students use mini whiteboards so that way they can just pop up their answer and I can see all of them. If the team gets it correct, they get to erase one X from another team's column. They cannot take an X from their own team. However, they get the opportunity to increase the number of X's they can erase from another team. This is where the trash ball aspect comes in. I set up the trash can with two lines, a two-pointer shot and a three-pointer shot. And students can choose to shoot from either line. And if they make it, they get to erase that many additional X's from other teams. Now they can split this number up between multiple teams or erase all of them from one team. One thing I've found with my students is they tend to all gang up on one particular team, eliminate them, and then move on to another one. Some of my classes have decided to create alliances when we do grudge ball, so that way there's two teams at the end standing, and then it's a vicious takedown after that. The alliances part is not necessary or required for students to be able to play. However, my classes find it a little bit more exciting that way. And in the end, whichever team has the most X's at the end of the game wins. Now let's talk about if a team runs out of X's. If a team loses all 10 X's within a game, instead of erasing X's from another team, they have to add them back before they can erase another team's X's. And there you go, that's Grudge Ball. So moving on to the second game, the second game I play with my students often that doesn't compromise learning is Spoons. If you've ever played Spoons with a regular deck of cards, the game is very similar. Your goal is to get four of a kind. But in this, Math Spoons, you're gonna find four problems that have the same answer or four representations of the same thing. For example, linear equations. In this game, students are going to be finding four representations of the same problem, a graph, equation, table, and situation. Before I jump into the specifics of how you would play spoons, I want to share one thing. I found by having my students play spoons, they become quick to recognize the solution because they've seen it so many times. I see this as a good thing. You become a better mathematician by doing the same thing over and over again. Just like if you were a basketball player shooting a free throw. You understand the mechanics of a free throw better the more you practice it and the more you learn how to do it correctly. All right, let's move into how you play spoons. So the goal is students collect four of a kind. So you're going to seat students in groups of three or four with a deck of math spoons cards. You're going to place the spoons in the center of the group, and there's going to be one less than the number of players. 
a little math for you. Four players receive three spoons, three players receive two spoons. Now you're going to label one person as the dealer. The dealer is going to shuffle the cards and hand out four cards to each player. Then they're going to set the cards to the left and the dealer will take the top card off that deck and place it in their hand. Then they will discard one they don't want and pass it to the next player. Each student will continue the cycle. And then the last student within the group creates a discard pile. If the dealer's deck runs out, the discard is shuffled and dealt around again. So the cards are continuously moving between students until one of them gets a four of a kind. So like the four representations of a linear equation. And then the first student to get four of a kind will grab a spoon. Then it's free for all for anyone to take a spoon within the group. The student without a spoon gets a letter. Kind of like the basketball game horse. If you miss the shot, you get an H. And then if you miss again, it's an O, so on. Very similar here. If a student doesn't get a spoon, they get a letter S. And if they spell spoon, they're out. And then the last student standing wins. Be prepared to go through a lot of plastic spoons. I can't even begin to count how many are broken when students grab for them and two of them grab for them and it breaks it because they're pounding it on the desk. It's chaotic. So prepare to go through a lot of plastic spoons. But overall, the energy gets really high and excited because kids are competitive with this game. And that is spoons. So moving into our third game, it's called Ultimate Tic-Tac-Toe. My students actually taught this to me my second year of teaching. To understand the structure of the game, I want you to visualize a giant tic-tac-toe board. And within each of the nine sections of the tic-tac-toe board is a, another tic-tac-toe game. So it's nine small games inside of one big game. And the goal to win is be the first person or team to win three small tic-tac-toe games in a row. For my visual people, I will link a video of how you play this that I always show to my students when I introduce this game. Because sometimes verbally sharing it doesn't help students comprehend it the same way as watching someone explain it with the tic-tac-toe board in front of them. And I use ultimate tic-tac-toe in two different ways. One as a full class game and one as just a partner game. The rules are the same, just think bigger scale versus smaller scale. If you decide to do the full class game, you're gonna divide your class into two teams. Team one will use the symbol X and team two will use the symbol O. Now the teams will answer a question. When they get it correct, they will place their corresponding symbol on the board. So starting with team one, Team one will start by solving the problem and then putting an X anywhere on the board. Now here's the part where my students tend to get confused. Whatever square inside the mini tic-tac-toe board player one picks determines what board player two or team two can play in. And then whatever square player two picks inside of the small tic-tac-toe board will then determine what board player one must play in on the big tic-tac-toe board. So for example, if player one or team one placed an X in the upper right-hand corner of a small tic-tac-toe board, player two 
must make their move in the upper left board. So hopefully that makes sense. If not, I am posting the video or linking the video so you can watch someone else explain it with the visual representation. If the board you must play on is already won, you can play on any of the boards. And if there is a tie in one of the small boards, it doesn't count for an X or an O. I know up front that doesn't sound very academic, but again, the two ways that I have changed that to make it more academic is on the whiteboard, I put the giant ultimate tic-tac-toe board and split my class into two teams. Or if you have a really big class, you can do two boards going for four teams. Then using questions or problems, you're going to have teams compete to place a spot on the tic-tac-toe board. But if you choose to do the partner, so partner A and partner B competing against each other, they'd have a mini ultimate tic-tac-toe board. And you can do the same type of thing with task cards or I've created some boards for my students that have a problem in each spot and they have to solve it before putting an X or an O. Either way you do it, it's fun and engaging and students have a blast with it. All right, moving into game number four, Zonk. This game brings back so many memories. I learned this game back when I was in fourth grade. It was a staple game that we always played. If you've ever played Zap, it's very similar to this, but there's one big difference. Instead of being able to zap another team's points off the board, you can accidentally zonk or lose all of your own team's point in a round. I believe it's modeled after the game show, Let's Make a Deal. So here's how it works. You're going to use questions similar to Ultimate Tic-Tac-Toe or Grudge Ball. When a team answers the question correct, they get to draw scorecards from a bucket. And the cards inside the bucket are increments of 100 ranging from 100 to 1,000. Sometimes I also add zeros in there if I'm doing a lot of teams. And when you draw cards out of the bucket, there, there's some people who say you can draw as many as you want and other people say you have to draw or you can only draw three. Either way, here's the catch. If you draw a Zonk card, you lose all the points you've earned for that round and your drawing of points ends. So if I put my hand in the bucket and pulled out 100, my team has 100 points. I can choose to keep that 100 and stop or go back for more and see if I can get more points. If I pull, say, 500, now I have 600 points for my team that round. I can choose to stop or grab another card. If I pull a Zonk card, I lose all the points I've gained for my team that round. Zonk is guaranteed to spice up any review game that you play with your students. And then the last game, number five, is concentration. And not like the hand clapping game where it's like, concentration, 64, no repeats, or hesitations. And then there's like a category and you go back and forth while clapping your hands with each other. Hopefully that doesn't sound like super weird because it was a real thing when I was in elementary school and I absolutely loved it. Anyway, it's the concentration game where it's like a bunch of cards face down and you pull two up to see if they match. Now I use this with the spoons cards that I use 
so that way there's different representations of the same thing on the board. This game can be done in partners or in teams of four. So they'll put all the cards facing down and then one person will choose two cards. If they match or represent the same thing, that counts as a point. If they don't match, the student will flip them back over in the exact same spot and let the next person go. And it goes around until all of the matches are made. And you can also do it to give some extra excitement. If a student matches it, they get to go again immediately rather than just moving it to the next person. It's very similar to spoons, but less fast paced, especially if you have students who fast paced isn't their jam. Their team can decide to do this instead of spoons because they use the same cards. All about differentiation. Let's go. Anyway, I love concentration. I use it for a lot of different things and it's just a lot of fun. And those are the five games that I'm going to go in depth about that you can play in your classroom that will engage students but not compromise learning. But I wanted to give you a couple more in case you want some more games for your tool belt. So there's Jeopardy, good old Jeopardy, Bingo, Zap, which is very similar to Zonk in my opinion, but you zap other teams' points, kind of like Grudge Ball. There's the Math Lottery, which is by Natalie from The Teaching Files. I will link it in the show notes so you can download that for free but it just spices up any worksheet or activity and makes it into a game. And those are your little bonus games to add to your tool belt. I hope today's episode has some actionable things for you that you can immediately incorporate into your classroom. Hopefully this week to give you a little break from the chaotic energy that might come from your students. So thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And as always, I'll calculator. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. To find all the links and resources to things talked about in this episode, head on over to MissKuypersClassroom.com and click on podcast.